I, it's such a privilege to be able to visit the saints around the country. I'm going to get to visit some new saints in Virginia and some old saints as well, yes. or, or well-known saints in, in Virginia. Well, <laughs> uh, I'll tell you what. Uh, there's a lot of folks that don't like the Badlands of Oregon. They're called the High Desert. And, uh, man, they hate going over there because it's dusty and, and there's sagebrush and there's juniper. And and uh, when I was invited out to go to the Badlands camp, I had a lot of people say, oh, man, it's it's desolate. It's just it's just flat. There's nothing out there. If the wind is going to blow, oh, dirt in your tent. And, and, and then when I'm getting out there, man, it's like I'm going home. Some of my fondest memories growing up was living in Central Oregon and, and Eastern Oregon, working with some of the ranchers out there here. And uh, so when I'm driving into uh, your ranch, it's like, man, this is old home week, you know? And uh, so you know I was always scurrying out in the hills, of, you know, having you know a little bit of aromatherapy out in the hills with some of the kids here. It was great. So uh, what a blessing for... Kurt to drive all the way here from the Badlands of Montana. And I think somebody misnamed those things. I think they're the Goodlands of Montana. And uh, it's a good preacher. It's a good man. I'll tell you what, salt of the earth. I've had the privilege of working with other ranchers before and branding, believe it or not. Tried to get me on a horse and I said, no thanks. I'll just stick around the branding fire. It was great. And uh, so just the, the blessing of having such a man uh, as Kirk's got great roots, great dad and, and mom, and just awesome man. The guy has heard him preach a couple times. We go, okay, I got to get him out here. And uh, so I think I bugged you last year, and you weren't able to make it. And so I guess I pestered you enough. You finally gave it up, and they're coming out. So I'm so thankful for Kirk coming out. And I know the message that I've assigned to him. He's going to preach it hard, so you better get ready. All right? Ran on, the fear of God is to hate evil. Well, good morning. Good morning. I think uh, since everyone that's farther away than I flew out, so I can officially say that I drove the longest uh, and had the longest travel to get out of here. Um, it was a good travel, though. We took Boca up in three days. Uh, my wife, Nina, and our three kids uh, uh, made the trip well, and, and uh, it, was, uh, it was fun. And once the GPS stopped being dumb, we missed some turns. It was a lot better when we got here. So, uh, But um, before I start, I'm going to ask Matthias Newman to come up here and read scripture for us this morning. morning. Proverbs 8, 1 through 12. Does not wisdom call, and understanding lift up her voice? On top of the heights beside the way, where the paths meet, she takes her stand. Beside the gates, at the openings of the city, at the entrance of the door, she cries out, To you, O men, I call, and my voice is to the sons of men. O naive ones, discern prudence, and O fools, discern wisdom. Listen, for I shall speak noble things, and the opening of my lips will produce right things. For my mouth will utter truth. And wickedness is an abomination to my lips. All the utterances of my mouth are in righteousness. There is nothing crooked perverted in them. 
They are all straightforward to him who understands and write to those who find knowledge. Take my instruction and not silver, and knowledge rather than choices gold. For wisdom is better than jewels, and all desirable things cannot compare with her. I, wisdom, dwell with prudence, and I find knowledge and discretion. Thank you, Thais. Uh, now I'd like to ask uh, Joseph Shanahan to come up and say a prayer, please. Let's pray. Dear Grace, awesome, wonderful Father, uh, we thank you for this opportunity we have to come together, uh, have a, a tremendous fellowship opportunity. Uh, Lord, uh, we need the, the saints and the encouragement of the saints, and, and this has been a great place for that over this weekend. Uh, please help all of us to come out of this, uh, the, the last message charged, ready to go, um, with some momentum to carry into our everyday lives, uh, with some things to, to make practical changes. Uh, Lord God, please give uh, Kirk and the rest of the speakers uh, clarity of thought and speech so that we can all uh, take what they say and, and run with it. Uh, in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Joseph. <clears throat> My topic is the fear of the Lord is to hate evil. Um, and a few things I want to talk about a little bit to kind of set the stage for this uh, message. Uh, when uh, Mr. Compton called me, about a month ago, I think now, um, and asked me to speak and gave me the topic. I got really excited, and so I have quite a bit of time in, um, sorry for those online, I'm gonna be off, off the camera quite a bit. Um, but uh, I have quite a bit of time in the tractor feeding cattle and stuff, and so I think about things, and I think and thought about the topic, and there's been quite a few things that, uh, or actually quite a few things I could have spoke about, but I chose a couple things to use as examples to apply uh, as a principle of how we are going to hate evil in ourselves. And uh, so one thing that, that uh, I think that I want to plead and I'll plead again later is that it's very crucial to please listen all the way to the end. Okay? Uh, because there's probably going to be some things that I say that they're probably going to catch you off guard. Um, I remember one time, I, one of my two sports that I played was baseball, because uh, prior to uh, last session in Montana, my dad carried the bill to allow homeschoolers to uh, participate in extracurricular activity. Uh, but prior to that, we couldn't. And so rather than go to uh, public school, uh, we played the sports that we could that didn't, allow us go, that didn't have to go to school for them. And baseball is one of those. And, I remember one time, uh, I was 13, and I was playing Babe Ruth, and so I, I had been batting uh, second in the lineup. And um, so my dad asked me, after a couple games, my dad missed a couple games, um, and uh, I had moved down in the lineup, and he, and he asked me uh, a particular game, he said, how did you bat during that game? Because he was wondering, well, what, what the reason was that I moved down in the lineup. And, my answer was, and I'm not exactly sure what the right answer was, but my answer was not as bad as everyone else, but I know that one wasn't the right answer because about five seconds after that, I found that out. That wasn't the right answer. It didn't, it didn't matter what everyone else did. It mattered what I did. That's the question that he asked. Um, another thing that I'm going to read, and I know it's a, a kid's book, and I don't know if anybody's heard of the book, Give, Give a Mouse a Cookie. 
Uh, so there's actually some principles in this book that I'm going to use today. Uh, so I'm going to read uh, a couple, well, a couple pages is about four sentences, but, um, so uh, it starts out, if you give a mouse a cookie, he's going to ask for a glass of milk. When you give him the milk, he'll probably ask you for a straw. When he is finished, he'll ask for a napkin. Then you'll want to look in the mirror and make sure he doesn't have a milk mustache. When he looks in the mirror, he might notice he needs his hair needs a trim, so he'll probably ask you for a pair of scissors. And it goes on and on, and then towards the end of the book, he's, uh, he is wanting to draw a picture, and so he asks for a pen, and he wants to hang it up on the fridge, and he goes and he sees the fridge, and he reminds him that he's thirsty. And so he asks for a glass of milk. And when he asks for a glass of milk, he's going to ask for a cookie. So I know that, uh, you know, that's, that's a children's book, but there's, there's actually a, a principle that I'm going to bring out today from that book. Um, another warning, uh, Mr. Trump might have made this uh, warning a little bit, but if I preach with a little passion, it's not necessarily preaching to anybody in the room. Okay, but it's because I don't think I can really do this message justice by just having a monotone. Okay, so evil isn't as predictable as a Hallmark movie. And I thought about this the other night because is, is anybody else, is there your wife a Hallmark fan or a romantic fan? Anybody? Okay, okay, so, um, so Lena was watching this movie the other day and I walked in and I thought, that's a pretty good time to go clean my gun. So I, uh, <laughs> I uh, actually brought it out uh, and watched a little bit of it. And so, and this is, this is audience participation, but it's only guys on this one, okay? Because, it's, okay? So this Hallmark movie starts off with this, this lady who's a matchmaker. And they have their little... Uh, uh, questionnaire or whatever they fill out to see how they match up with people and and she had had filled this question out like five years ago and obviously hadn't found a match she's still single so she's probably like well I'm, I'm never gonna find this Mr. Right you know and so she's going into matchmaking to help other people find their Mr. or Mrs. Rights since she can't find theirs and so in the movie there was this guy who wrote an article about how much a waste of time dating was and so she uh, convinced him to uh, let her try and find him a match to, to uh, prove him wrong. And uh, so he fills out this questionnaire. So, guys, I'm going to give you one guess. <laughs> Who do you think the questionnaire matched up with? Her. Okay. I mean, but evil is not that predictable. Okay. Some evil is. And actually, I take that back. What we see as predictable is the symptoms, not the problem. Now, what I mean by that, so my dad's in the state legislature, and it was, I, I told, uh, sorry, I can't remember your name, but he talked about uh, uh, giving liberally. And so I, uh, my dad is actually a member of the Freedom Caucus in Montana. And so saying liberal was, was a little tough for me to say. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, so they have in, in Montana, they just had a bill brought up 
where it would make it illegal for parents to uh, give their kids or allow their kids to undergo a surgery to change their gender. And so when you have, there, there was like a five hour hearing in committee on that, on that bill. And there was a, a, a family, her parents of a six year old that came in in opposition to the bill that was saying how, uh, I have to be kind of audience, uh, my audience here, but think of it, this, their, their, their son needed to change, okay? And, or you, we can look and say, what about this, the homosexuality problem or, or the abortion problem? And we call them problems, and from a political standpoint, we call them problems, but they're really just the symptoms of the true problem, or of a problem, I'll tell you, a true problem. So when we look at that, evil evil's not as predictable, uh, not, not easily predictable, and, and so when we think of hating evil, the, the obvious question that, that comes up, and some people have actually uh, challenged me on this, is can you hate evil and, and not sin? Or can you hate in general and not sin? And obviously, we're not hating the people, but we hate the evil. Let's turn to, to well, before we turn there, uh, so Matthias read Proverbs 8, 1 through 12. So if we read through that and then get in that context, who is talking here? And if you turn to verse 12, it, it specifies right there, is that I, wisdom, dwell with prudence, and I find knowledge and discretion. You continue to verse 13, the fear of the Lord is to hate evil, pride, arrogance, and the evil way, and the perverted mouth I hate. Kind of going back to uh, uh, the mats, and see, see, there's a lot of mats here, and usually I don't have a problem with, you know, people can say, oh, Kurt was preaching, but that's a problem here as well. It's the first time it's ever happened. Uh, but, so, wisdom, and Matt talked about the beginning of wisdom, or the, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and so if we're going to go on, on that, and he set, set things up really great, especially his closing verse set up for my message perfect and so when when you talk about wisdom uh the fear of the lord being the beginning of wisdom and wisdom is saying here the fear of the lord is to hate evil okay hating evil first off is not hating the person and there's actually scriptures and that talk about hating and hating righteously and um i'm going to for a little bit, uh, I think it was a couple years ago, Phil Sutton preached a message at Montana Family Camp, and I think you were talking about love. I don't remember the exact message. And so he went and he talked, he, he made, made a statement, to, to actually love like God loves, we have to be able to hate like God hates. And that's a paraphrase a little bit, but that's kind of the gist that he was saying there. Okay? Uh, another thing, this actually, this wasn't even planned. So last two weeks in Glendive, uh, we are going through the book of Ephesians, and the last two weeks we went, uh, broke it up and looked in Ephesians 5 verse 2 and we talked about love, walking in love as it talks there. And I kind of used that as uh, the, the first two of the third message. This was going to be kind of tap it off. So if you're interested in that, you can go to the churchinglendive.com and you can find those in the archives. Uh, I'm not saying that the speaker was the best, but, but some of the information there, I'm going to touch a little bit on the information uh, today. But there's other information there that if you're interested, you can go look at that on the love side of it. So, Psalm 97, 
Because the scripture actually, obviously, in, in Proverbs there, tells us that uh, the fear of the Lord is to hate evil. Psalm 97. We're going to start in verse 7. And the psalmist writes, he says, Let all those be ashamed who serve graven images, who boast themselves of idols. Worship him, all you gods. Zion heard this and was glad. The daughters of Judah have rejoiced because of thy judgments, O Lord. For thou art Lord most high over all the earth. Thou art exalted far above all gods. Hate evil, you who love the Lord. You who preserves the soul of his godly ones, that he delivers them from the hand of the wicked. So you see there, when we're looking at hating evil, what he says prior to that, and we think a lot of times that we can kind of get the idea or the thought is that, well, we don't have any idols because idols are have to be this graven image or the statue, and, and that's what that's really what an idol was. And, and that's not what an idol is. Uh, I mean, it is, that is an idol, but that's not exclusive to an idol. God here uh, talks about worship him, all you gods. The world has made these things, for example, uh, uh, homosexuality. Okay, They've made, uh, I don't know if the freedom would be the right word, but, but love and their, their own desire, their idol. And you can, you can take that and make that and say that true for any, anything we see, any problem or any, any uh, symptom we see in America or in the world today. And the psalmist says, Hate evil you who loves, love the Lord, who preserves the soul of, the God, of his godly ones. He delivers them from the hand of the wicked. Hating evil has something to do with us, with God preserving us. If, if we don't hate evil, we're not going to be preserved. Turn to Revelation chapter 2. And we're going to look at uh, two of the churches here, uh, of the seven churches of Asia. And Jesus, even though he does rebuke, uh, he rebukes both of them. There's, he commends one, but he rebukes the other for the same, the same issue. And uh, in chapter 2, verse 6, the church of Ephesus, um, he says, Yet this you do have, that you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. See, hating is not, a, is not something that only the wicked does. We, yeah, hating people, hating an individual is not something we do. And kind of going back about the taking our, taking liberal, taking the good words, okay? It is completely righteous to hate evil and completely good to hate evil. Tolerance is not a virtue. Turn, turn to... Uh, Revelation chapter 2, verse 15. Now the church of Pergamum here, uh, he says in verse 15, Thus you also have some, things, uh, have some who in the same way hold to the teaching of the Nicolaitans. So Jesus rebuked the uh, church of Pergamum for, for holding to the deeds of Nicolaitans, but he commended the church in Ephesus for hating the deeds of the Nicolaitans. Turn to uh, 1 John chapter I really got to book it because I got like an hour and a half of stuff and I got to cram it in so about 30 minutes. So, 1 John chapter 3. So, in order to hate evil correctly, we have to understand what hate is. Uh, but when we look at, at hate and love, and this is what I kind of talked a little bit about, and I'll touch on uh, 
today, but the last couple weeks they blend back to on, on a physical scale. So so we have love, if you want to call it. Oh, yeah, well, it is love. So I love my wife, I guess with a spouse of love. I love my kids like they're my kids. I love Sue like he's my brother. Okay? But I don't every time I pick up the paper and read an obituary, I don't cry. Because there's physically there's not I don't have an attachment to those people. Okay? But on a spiritual sense, it's black and white. There is no in-between. You either love or you hate. So we look here in 1 John chapter 3, uh, verse 14. John writes, he says, We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brethren. He who does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. Okay, so hating the brother, that's what we, that's what God instructs us not to do. We don't hate the individual. And this is talking specifically about uh, the church here, but overflowing to the world, we don't hate the people. But this word for hate uh, means to hate, to detest, or to love less. Turn to Luke chapter 14, just to kind of get the idea here. Luke 14, I know that love isn't my topic. Uh, so, sorry, Phil, if, if this goes on some of your stuff, but just to kind of get the idea of what hate and love is here, uh, Luke 14, Jesus here, uh, in verse 26, he says, And if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. And so we understand that, that, first off, that word for hate is the same Greek word used in 1 John. Okay, same Greek word used in 1 John. But we understand, obviously, this is hypocritical or contradictory if he just told us in 1 John not to hate our brother, but he tells us here to hate them. But the point I'm showing this out for, showing this to you is because hating doesn't necessarily have to look like you detest someone. Let's look at a biblical example Turn to Genesis 37. Genesis 37. Everybody familiar with Joseph and his sons? So in verse 3 of Genesis 37, it says, Now Israel loved Joseph more than all of his sons. Because he was the son of his old age, he made him a very colored tunic. And his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all of his brothers, so they hated him and could not speak to him on friendly terms. See, in, a, in that sense, so if we, if we apply that to the body, see, that Israel or Jacob loved Joseph. It doesn't say that he loved his other brothers less, but it says he loved them more, so it's kind of implied that he loved his, the other brothers less. And you see the destruction that that, that, that uh, brought about. Now, Israel or Joseph or Jacob didn't despise or detest his other boys, but he still hated them. And so if we look at it from a, a, a love standpoint and look at the body and we look at how destructive that is, yeah, we might not hate the person, but we can greatly dislike them, and that's going to uh, plant the seeds of hate, and it's going to cause destruction eventually. And it's going to break the body up. So on a, on a spiritual level, uh, one more point before I get here. 
That word for, the Hebrew word for hate, when it says that they hated him, let's turn back to Genesis 29. Genesis 29. And we're all familiar with the story of uh, Jacob with Rachel and, and uh, uh, Leah. And so in verse 31, It says, Now the Lord saw that Leah was unloved, and he opened her womb, but Rachel was barren. That word for unloved is the same word for hate used in Genesis 37 when it said Joseph's brothers hated him. Okay, so you see the picture there that it wasn't that, that Jacob hated Leah like we think of hate, like, oh, he just was detested or couldn't stand to look at her. It wasn't that. He loved her less. So, to bring this around, it righteousness takes intention. So I know that this is, I'm talking about love here, but if we turn it around, when we, when we, uh, righteous love takes intention. Unrighteous love doesn't necessarily take intention. Righteous hate takes intention, but unrighteous hate doesn't, okay? So on a, on a spiritual perspective, when we're looking at being righteous, if we're going to love what is right, we have to be intentional about it. And if we're going to hate what is evil, we have to be intentional about it. It's not good enough to like it less or love it less. Let's turn to, uh, well, I won't turn there. Well, we'll turn to 2 Samuel chapter 11. Turn there. As you turn in there, when, what comes to mind, what's, what name comes to mind when I say King David and Uriah, Uriah the Hittite? What name comes to mind? Bathsheba. Okay. There's a name that's mentioned before that, before Bathsheba, that I think we need to look at to kind of get a grasp of what David did here. And, and I'm not going to stop in, in, in 2 Samuel 11. But it's found, if you want to write it down, it's found in 2 Samuel 23, verse 39, and found in 1 Chronicles chapter 11, verse 41. And if you read those, you're going to find that Uriah was one of David's mighty men. So, one of, and I think in, even, uh, I think it's in Samuel, it mentions 37 of them. Now, there's a lot more than 37 people here at the camp. So if you kind of picture that, I mean, that's not like it was he was just a soldier in, in David's army. That doesn't make it mean that it would, doesn't mean that it would make it right what David did, but we got to understand this was one of David's closest soldiers. And so if you look in, in uh, 2 Samuel 11, uh, verse 1, it says, Then it happened in the spring, at the time when the kings go out to battle, that David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel, and they destroyed the sons of Ammon and besieged Rabbah, but David stayed at Jerusalem. Now when evening came, uh, David arose from his bed and walked around the roof of the king's house, and from the roof he saw a woman bathing, and the woman was very beautiful in appearance. So David sent and inquired about the woman, and one said, Is this not Bathsheba? the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite. And David sent messengers and took her. And when she came to him, he lay with her. And she had purified, when she had purified herself from her unclean lips, she returned to her house. 
You think that David started out, I'm going to commit adultery today? It was probably a little, a little, and a little. And I got a song picked out. I don't normally do this, but uh, Mr. Kirkpatrick has a song here that I would like to listen to. Uh, it's uh, called Slow Fade by Casting Crowns. Uh, sake of time we'll have to cut it short people don't crumble in a day see David David didn't go out and just think I'm gonna commit adultery today it was a little bit and a little bit and a little bit and he didn't hate evil if you give a mouse a cookie he's gonna ask for milk and he's gonna if he gets milk he's gonna ask for a straw and he's gonna ask for a nap and he's gonna want to cut his hair and by the time to the end he's gonna want to color a picture and then he's gonna want milk again and then he's gonna want a cookie That's exactly what happens. It's not just the cookie. Um, <clears throat> turn to Romans 13. Romans 13. <clears throat> um, I have a couple examples. I'm going to pick one of them here. So, I was watching a video one time. It was like one of those YouTube short things, and and um, it was this this uh, guy and a girl. Uh, they obviously were a couple, and they. Uh, so she asked him. This is something that I did, I just hate this. She asked him. She said, "Honey, what's your fantasy crush?" And she said, "I'll go first. Mine's Justin Bieber." Which I was like, what? Are you kidding me? Um, but, uh, so she said, mine's, mine's Justin Bieber. So he thought about it for a second. He thought about it for a second. And he said, your sister. 
So see, that reaction tells me everything I need to know right here. Okay. So, and not to put you down, everyone laughed at the Justin Bieber, but when he said his sister, it's oh. And I can just imagine all the people are like, Man, what a pig! How could he say that her sister? What was any different if it was Justin Bieber or her sister? See, we, we justify things that maybe aren't as bad. Okay, it's, it's something that, well, it's, yeah, I'm not saying that wasn't the low blow, but, but we justify it. I did laugh too, okay? But, I mean, we justify that it's okay if it's someone famous or someone we don't know, but it just takes, it starts with a little bit. Because the someone famous, well, I'm never going to, I'm never going to, able to get with that person. So then maybe it comes to someone you know. And then it comes into more than that. And more than that. And if you don't, hey, see, evil doesn't look, yeah, we would say, oh, evil was in Thailand saying that he had it, that her, her sister was his fantasy crush, but evil was also Justin Bieber being fantasy crush. See, we're, sometimes we hate the we hate the symptoms of evil, and we don't hate the problems. So whatever we we legislate, we try to legislate uh, the, the symptoms, and they're never going to change because we aren't fixing the problem. Romans chapter thirteen, verse eight. Paul writes, "Owe nothing to anyone except love one another, for he who loves his neighbor has fulfilled the law. You, th for this you shall." Not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. If there is any commandment, it is summed up that you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong, and the neighbor to a neighbor, love therefore is a fulfillment of the law. Did David love Uriah? He did. And I'm not saying you couldn't say that, that he didn't at a time, or that maybe he didn't regret it after, because David was what well, did repent of that. Okay? But if he would have loved Uriah, he wouldn't have co coveted his wife. And he wouldn't have committed adultery. He wouldn't have done wrong to his brother. Turn to Matthew chapter 5. We've got to kind of speed through. 10 minutes. 59. I'm pretty good at auctioning too, so you're going to have to really go back in the video and, and slow it way down. Matthew 5. We're going to move real quick here. Verse 4 said, Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. This is not just talking about if someone's at a funeral and they're going to be comforted. That word for mourn is used ten times in the New Testament. Okay, And, and it uh, is translated a few times talking about when the, the rulers of the world uh, mourn when Babylon falls in Revelation 18. It talks about when they mourn after Jesus died. It talks about when Jesus says the, the, when the bridegroom is still here, they don't mourn. So those things don't necessarily apply to us, but this does. This word is also used if we turn over to 1 Corinthians 5, the word for mourn. 1 Corinthians chapter 5. I'll start in verse 1. It says, And it is actually reported that there is a morality among you, and a morality of such a kind that does not exist even among the Gentiles, that someone has his father's wife. You have become arrogant and have not mourned. Instead, in order that the one who has done the deed might be removed from your midst. They didn't mourn. They didn't hate the evil. It, they were allowing it to be there. They did, and this is a principle that is applying 
obviously of the body too, but this is something that applies physically or individually to us. If we let something sit there, it's going to destroy us. Turn to James chapter 4. <clears throat> James chapter 4. The only time that I'm aware of that the New Testament calls saints sinners is here. And the word for mourn is used here. We're going to start in verse 8 of James chapter 4, and it says, Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be miserable and mourn. Weep. Let your laughter be turned into mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves in the presence of the Lord, and he will exalt you. That word for mourn there is, he say, is the same word used in Matthew 5 and the same word used in 1 Corinthians 5. And James is saying, you should be mourning. Cleanse your hands, O sinners. You should be mourning. Let your laughter be turned into to mourning. Mourning isn't just being comforted when you cry if so you lose somebody. Mourning is mourning wickedness and hating wickedness. Hating it so much that you're crying about it and you're disgusted about it. <clears throat> I'm going to make this quick. i got a couple examples here, too. My other sport that I did was wrestling. <clears throat> and there was, there was, I'm asking again, please, please listen all the way the end. If you have this uh, this thing now of people trying to, uh, of boys going into girls sports. And so you have these people fighting against that. And so a lot of time, a lot of, a, a name to call these people that are fighting against boys participating in girls sports would be Patriot. I got a better name for them. Wicked Lazy, selfish servants of Satan. Now, let me say it again. Those who are holding people back, holding men, boys back from participating in girls' sports are wicked, lazy, selfish servants of Satan. And why am I saying that? I wrestled, and there came this time when I had to wrestle a girl. And so, and there's actually a lot of that now. My, my nephew's wrestling, and there's actually in Montana, there is girls wrestling in Montana. And still girls are wrestling in the boys' division. See, we, we get the idea, and I'm not saying, you know, first off, I'm not for boys playing girls' sports. Okay, make that clear. But the people who are defending, I'm not saying all of them, but in general, they're wicked because they're not doing anything about girls playing in girl and boys sports. Now, to make this a little bit visual, and I'm not saying this to be funny, and I'm not trying to make people uncomfortable here, but I've only been this close to two females in my life. My wife and the girl I wrestled when I was 12. And nobody is saying that girls shouldn't, I mean, I'm not saying nobody, but as a, as a whole, they're not saying that girls shouldn't be playing boys sports. Yeah, I don't think the boys should be playing girls sports. You shouldn't have a boy go and wrestle in the girls division, but they're just fine with girls wrestling in the boys division because the reason is, is because they hate the God, godly family and they're trying to, the, whatever boys can do, girls can do 10 times better. And they're wicked, lazy servants of Satan.
Anybody see the movie Mary Poppins? I know what you think. This, is this idiot really going to bash Mary Poppins? And the answer would be yes. <laughs> so, <laughs> Do you remember Mary Poppins? So it starts off, and I think if I'm, well, Mary's flying in an umbrella or whatever, but in, when it gets to the house, I think a babysitter's leaving, and because the kids are too unruly, okay? And so the kids are too unruly. The, the dad isn't, isn't involved, and he works at a bank, and he's kind of crabby. And in the movie, you know, he slams doors and has a temper, and, and uh, Mrs. Banks, well, I think it's Banks is their name, but the, the mom, anyway, is kind of this easygoing thing, woman, and, and oh, George, it's okay, and, and it's all fine. And behind the dad's back, remember what she does? She's advocating for women's rights. Now, I'm not saying women shouldn't vote, okay? But the kids were a mess. They had two maids, and Mary Poppins came in to clean it up, and the movie is portrayed as the dad is this grumpy, crabby, temper, uh, guy with a temper that just doesn't spend time with his kids, but the mom should be doing what she's doing. She's not taking care of her kids because he, I don't remember when that movie was made. But you don't think there was some grooming going on there? We look at Mary Poppins, and it's more than just the greatest word we ever heard, and this is how it goes. It's more than that, that teaching us something. It was underlined was the man was bad, and he was crabby, and he was grumpy, and he needed to be fixed. The woman was fine. She needed to advocate for him. Maybe she should have been even equal or even higher than him. You think the problems we had today didn't have something, not saying with that movie in particular, but with the mindset behind that movie? It's, it's so hard for people sometimes to think, well, my grandma was such a sweet lady. And I'm not saying she wasn't. But sometimes we have to just bite the bullet and, and accept the fact that, that grandma, grandma Marge didn't actually love righteousness. Grandma Susie, she wasn't someone who sought God first. And Grandpa Joe didn't do anything to stop her. Didn't take a stand. And neither one of them hated evil enough to take a stand and do what was right so that maybe we don't have some problems we have today or some symptoms of the problem. And if we could think And the reason I'm saying this, and you think, well, what's the problem with that? The problem is, if you give him a cookie, he's an ass for milk. And he's an ass for a straw. And he's going to want to look in the mirror, cut his hair. And he's going to want to draw a picture, put it on the fridge. Now he's thirsty again. Wants some milk. Now he wants a cookie. But it doesn't stop. And you can say, well, Kirk, we haven't done it. We're not promoting girls playing boys' sports. We're not promoting women, even over their husbands, or having authority over their husbands. Are we hating it? See, it's not, it's not enough just to not like it or to love it less. It's either you love it or you hate it, and there's no in-between. 
Turn to Job. Now this was an example, or these were examples that I brought up were examples, and yes, I think there are, there are symptoms and pro, symptoms that we have of problems, but it's not just excluded to those, okay? This is, those are examples that I'm using to show if we don't take care of the little evils in our lives, they're going to become big evils. Turn to Job 1, and uh, Job's been referenced read quite a bit this week, uh, and a lot of times it they, uh, has been ended with, and I'm going to end in Job here again. Job chapter 1, verse 11. And it says, so Satan comes and he, and he uh, prowls around the earth, or prowls around the earth, just to give you some context here, and God asks, if you consider my servant Job, and so in verse 11, <clears throat> Satan says, all right. But put forth thy hand and touch all that he has, and he will surely curse thee to thy face. You skip down to chapter 2, verse 5. After Satan did the first round and it didn't work, because the end of chapter 1 uh, it says Job did not sin and didn't blame God. <clears throat> verse 5. Uh, actually. In verse 5, Satan again says, However, put forth thy hand now and touch uh, his bone and his flesh, and he will curse thee to thy face. Did you know that word for curse there doesn't mean curse? See, that the idea we get when we think of curse is that it's a complete one for 360, or 180. Okay? And so we think, oh, he was just hating God. That's what Satan wanted him to do. That word for curse means to, to bless or to kneel. It's used 330 times in the Old Testament. I think it's like seven times. Only seven times is translated as something like, like curse or cursing or cursed. The other 323 times it's a positive like bless or blessing or thankfulness, kneeling, giving thanks. So when Satan uses that, when that word is used there, Satan wasn't trying to get Job to do 180 and just curse God to his face. Satan was trying to get Job to not bless God. Just a little bit off of the truth. He didn't need him to go way over here. See, Satan doesn't need us to go over and promote abortion and homosexuality and transgenderism and uh, whatever else. He just wants us to not hate it. Love it less. We cannot hate or say, we cannot truly love God like we should unless we hate the things that he hates. And not just loving them less. Hating, detesting, despising, mourning the things that he hates. Thank you. All right. All right.